0: Conscious
1: response to our um, little corporate
2: is our conscious mind. All right. I think we're live. We are live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. Um, We have one of our panelists who was in transition. He'll be here shortly. But before we get started, we wanna ask you to go ahead and uh, share this feed. If you have not shared the stream, share this with your friends and we're gonna be getting started momentarily. I'm excited that you guys have been able to join us and we're looking forward to um, press into some um, pretty um, hard topics, but from the heart of, of, Faith. Um, our appeal is definitely from the perspective of being a Christ follower, um, and, and what that really means. As I have this uh, shirt on, which was designed by Life Church Canton um, the Church in our network, it's the cross equal love, and we really want to unpack that what that really means. Because the cross definitely equals love, but love uh, it costs. Um, love is not sentimentality. Love is commitment and we'll get all into that in a moment. But go ahead and uh, share, share this feed and thank you for for joining us. So we'll give it a couple of more minutes because as I mentioned, I have uh, Jane who's in in transition. Um, So he'll be here momentarily. But thank you guys for joining us. And we're going to be jamming in, in like maybe one or two minutes here. So. So again, welcome to Life Church Auburn Hills Lunchtime Conversations. Now I'm gonna go ahead and get started. Jalen can join us. All right. So, again, welcome. And I'm Donald Johnson. I serve as the lead pastor for Life Church Auburn Hills. And let me give you the purpose of our lunchtime conversations. Um, first and foremost, we wanted to give and create space for us to hear each other. I think one of the lost arts in communication is listening. And so, we're going to have and host conversations. Like this, like we had um, a couple of weeks ago with our Asian American Pacific Islander uh, friends, and today we're going to bring to you an African American uh, perspective. And so these conversations are vital. And my encouragement for you is to, to please listen, as we are we call this is what we call it at Life Church Arbor Hills, we call it three C friendships. And as we're pursuing and endeavor, endeavoring to be, um, live into that reality of being committed, because this is not easy, as you know, it's not easy, but it takes commitment, being cross-cultural and then on top of that, being Christ-centered. And that is what we're pursuing. We believe those are the building blocks to advancing the kingdom of God, the great commission that God has given us. And so these conversations are important. And so my encouragement to you is to, whatever political side you have, that's not the perspective we're coming from. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to please remove your, your partisan lens and put your kingdom filter on. And when I, when I think about sports, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, Coach Tim Morton yesterday, we look at sports and, and even if it's just for the sake of that event, people from all walks of life come together because of a team, because they identify with that particular team, all types of backgrounds, beliefs, ideas, but they come together because of a team. And if they could do that for a sports team, how much more should we come together for team Jesus? All right, so I'm gonna read our bios, let me check. I'm going to read about bios of our panelists and um, we're just going to start moving. So again, thank you for joining us Lunchtime Conversation. And we have with us today, we have Dr. Kelly Corle. Mm-hmm. And Kelly has a doctorate in education, a former Chicago public schools principal and teacher. She is, she is the chief financial and operating officer and co-owner of Single Story Inc., a diversity and educational consulting firm that serves organizations and schools throughout the Midwest. Welcome, Kelly.
3: Thank you.
2: All right. And we have Dominique Gilliard. Dominique Du Bois Gilliard is the director of racial righteousness and reconciliation for the Evangelical Covenant Church. He is the author of Rethinking Incarceration. Advocating for Justice That Restores, which won the 2018 Book of the Year Award for University Press, and was named Outreach Magazine Social Issue Resource of the Year in 2019. Welcome, Dominique.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely, man. So excited that you're here. And uh, Jalen, who will be joining us, um, let me pull He's a friend and brother committed to reconciliation and he is an advocate for justice. Um, Many of you may know him, he's a skilled musician and a singer and he currently serves as a worship arts director at Kensington Church, Troy campus. So that right there was their professional bios. Mm -hmm. I want our panelists to share with the audience who you are personally and I'll model it for a moment. Again, I'm Don Earl. Uh, I am married. Um next month will be 24 years to my wife, Janetta Johnson.
3: 24.
2: Woo woo. <laughs>
3: <God> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Amen. And we have four children, four daughters. So my friends, I ask for your prayers. Four girls. <laughs> um I um in the past I've worked in as a senior IT project manager prior to launching Life Church Arbor Hills. Um, technology was, uh, is, was the field my professional trait. And also I worked at a foster care and adoption agency um, for over like 12 years. And so let me share something fun or interesting about me that you may not know, is that I had actually wrote a book of poetry that I registered with the Library of Congress as a teenager. But I never published it. So that's a little about me. All right. So uh, Kelly, tell us, tell our audience who you are personally.
3: Uh, Well, I am married to a wonderful man, um, Brian Quirley, and we just hit 13 years. Mm-hmm. um yes and we have a daughter she is 15 months and she is asleep right now and i'm praying she'll sleep through this whole session <laughs> and we're um, going to be welcoming our second daughter um, in august of this year so we're really excited about that um for fun like I, I feel bad saying what i like to do for fun because i feel like pre-pregnancy kelly love to do a lot more things than pregnant kelly like i love to work out and right now i'm like i don't think i'll ever work out again in life like my body just can't do it (laughs) um so but brian and i are avid travelers um we've been to i think over 20 25 countries um together so like we just We love traveling, we love learning about um, other cultures and seeing other places of the world to help broaden our perspective. Um, And just to really just kind of fellowship and see God's creation, right? Um, It's very easy to get stuck in your bubble and how you do things and to come up with these ideas of what's right or wrong um, and not being able to accept the beauty and the diversity um, of the world, so.
2: Thank you, Kim. Yeah.
0: All right, Dominique. Yeah, so um, I am from the metro Atlanta area. I was born and raised. um, I am the son of a father who uh, worked for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference organization that Dr. King founded, and a son of a a mom who serves as a superintendent in our denomination, which is a bishop in other denominations. And so I really jokingly say God kind of took the best of who they are and kind of combined it and put a call Mm -hmm. on my life. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit of who I am, Uh, born and raised in Metro Atlanta uh, through undergrad. Uh, went and did my first master's in the Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee, and so very different culturally from Atlanta, uh, then went westward to Chicago for seminary, then further west to do pastoral ministry in Oakland, California, and have come back to Chicago kind of over the last three years to kind of do the work that I'm doing now. Uh, married uh coming up on two years um, now, and um, yeah, great. I'm married to a Chinese American uh, woman who has um, really uh Complemented a lot of my um, convictions. And so one of the things we do is that we uh, run a transitional housing ministry for formerly incarcerated people Mm -hmm. out of our house. So we have uh, two flat, we live on the top flat and the bottom flat we use for transitional housing for formerly incarcerated people. And that was really her her ministry vision and gift. And so it's been a beautiful way that God has kind of woven kind of our convictions and compassions together.
2: Wow, that's awesome, man! Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And I see Jalen is with us. And keep your eyes on the road.
1: <laughs> I'm not driving anymore.
2: Okay. Cool. 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 Cool.
1: Yeah, I, I, I pulled over for this, so I'm. Oh. I'm sorry. I am. I am Jalen, and I'm the least qualified person on this call. No. And, no,
3: <laughs> and no.
1: I. And and I'm the late person on the call, so I, I apologize about that, but.
3: No problem. I'm I'm
1: married to, uh, say it again?
2: No, no, go ahead, go
1: ahead. I'm married to Kiana, that's my beautiful wife. uh, And we've been married for uh, five, going on five years now. It'll be five years this August. Uh, We've got two little girls, uh, they're 15 months apart. One is Carrington, she's my oldest. And uh, the other one is Cadence. And uh, a little bit about me is I'm, I'm the worship arts director at Kensington church uh, in Troy, Michigan and our Troy campus. And, uh, you know, I've really, um, I've, I've really come to really find a calling and, and a feeling that the Lord has a calling on my life through ministry, through doing work of reconciliation within the church, um, as well as uh, through musical expression, through art, through worship music, and through other uh, expressions of art as well and so um that's kind of that's kind of like the little 411 on me
2: man thank you Jalen and um you're qualified man you're qualified and you're here and I I appreciate you all right so um as we get ready to dive in a little deeper uh, this this metaphysics idea came to mind um it's the question and philosophical question that can something exist without being perceived by consciousness and follow me on this that led to the question is sound only sound for example if a person hears it you know does sound really exist or is it only a sound when a person hears it and then it leads to the question and i'm pretty sure most of you've heard this does a tree, if a tree falls and there's no one around to hear it, again, does it really make a sound? And now we're not here to, to argue that point, but to me, I think what this speaks more to is proximity and how you define sound. And when I look at the journey of uh, African-Americans, the history uh, in this country, I, I, I compare it to like trees falling. Now we've come a long way and we have a long way to go. And this idea came to my mind to think about it. If it's perceived by consciousness, does it even make a sound? Does it really exist? And based on proximity uh, for some, they've been able to avoid this conversation um, because it's, they, they're far away t- to the point where they don't hear. They're far away where it doesn't necessarily is not their issue. And there are some that's close enough to hear, but they, they got annoyed by the sound. And some have heard and they actually became allies to, to, to be a part of, if you will, saving the force. And then there are some of us, African-American brothers and sisters who are so close that not only we hear the sound, but we actually see the tree falling and we feel the effects of that fall. And I really believe personally that these recent incidents and specifically the death of George Floyd, it brought all of us in proximity, closer proximity to not only see or hear but also to feel that tree fall. And so we're about to get into some conversation here and we're going to share our experience from our context. My encouragement is that you would actively listen and that we collectively, this is my hope that we go from conversation to commitment. So we're going to dive in with our first question. As an African-American male or female, in your case, Kelly, how did you see the recent death of George Floyd? You seeing that death, that murder, how did that affect you? And I just wanted you to share, again, from the perspective of being an African-American male or female, how does seeing this affect you? And Let's go with ladies first, Kelly.
3: You know, when I first heard about it, um, I waited a few days to watch it, uh, the video, because I know for me personally, I compartmentalize things um, and I can take a whole lot, but then when it becomes much for me, then it's an explosion. So I was trying to ease myself um, into this. I can't say that I necessarily was shocked by it Mm. in terms of that this happened, right? Like seeing life leave someone Mm. is traumatic. And I, I think I didn't, I was, I was concerned about me being able to handle that piece. Um, and of course, like when it, when I finally did watch it, it was two days of just crying, like, you know, in the thought of this is this is my cousin, you know, <laughs> this is my brother. This is and, 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 I, and I'm thinking about people in particular. And when I think about what the images that I've seen, dark skin, black men in particular. So I'm going through my Rolodex and I, and I turn over and I look at Brian. I'm like, this is you. Like, this is you, you you are a dark-skinned black man with locks, like, this is you. Um, and for me, it just, as traumatic as it was, it's the aftermath that I think that, for me, that I was like, they're gonna get off. Like, that that was my initial thought, you know? So it is tragic, it is horrible that it happened. And now we have this, system where you're like, oh, well, trust the system, you know, like, justice will be served. And I'm like, no, it won't. And so I think this was a time where I kind of felt, I felt helpless, like I I didn't know what to do. I don't know. It was, it was a lot of emotions, a lot.
2: Thank you. All right. um, Jalen.
1: Yeah. uh, Wow. I mean, I'm right alongside you, sister. I'm, I'm, uh, for me, it was um, It was a moment where I said, wow, white America now gets to experience the Black American's trauma through video. And so, like, I mean, you, you see in a lot of ways, like, uh, I know, like, how I censor my children, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, man, I'm watching a television show or I see a commercial and, might be a little too much action going on and I'll, I'll turn the channel real quick and things mm-hmm. like that. I, I believe that is what, uh, you know, for so long uh, white America has been able to do. They've been able to turn the channel and be okay. Um, but the African-American experience, right? We can't flip the channel from, we can't turn the channel from the trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. And so because of that, because it's our cousins, it's our brothers, it's our sisters, you know, uh, and so for me, I, I felt a lot, uh, a lot like you in the sense where um, I felt hopeless. I was like, uh, they'll get off, you know, they're, they're they're gonna, they'll figure out a way to, you know, and and if they get punished anyway, it'll be a lighter sentence or something like that because the, the system wasn't built to provide justice for me or people that look like me. I was built and used to provide you know, service to the system. And mm-hmm. so I can't expect for the African-American uh, life to be valued in a system that didn't see them as human. And mm-hmm. so as, as I see, you know, the way I view it, honestly, and, and Don Earl, I hope I'm not taking it too far or sounding too um, sounding too angry, because that's not my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see moments like, like uh, this last case of George Floyd, like an attempt to tame the wild African Negro, hmm. and that's the way that it felt to me, and that's the way I interpreted it. You know, so I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of mixed emotions going on for me. I, I was, I was angry. I was sad that it took a video to get people to lament. Um, and honestly, I struggled to find hope in it. Yeah, I did.
2: Thank you, Jalen. And uh, Dominique?
0: Yeah, um, as a father um, of a young Black boy, um, it, it's literally giving me insomnia. Um, I lay at night concerned about what my son is going to ultimately grow up and step into, and he has no clue what's out there waiting for him. Um, as somebody who's had to navigate this, um, you know, one of the resources kind of denominationally that we have to think through this experience is a church experience, what we call immersive discipleship experience called Sankofa. Yeah. And one of the things we ask early on in the trip is we ask people uh when was the first time you realized that race mattered mm. um and then i mean and people of color particularly african americans usually give an answer that happened by the age of 7 um where other participants you know usually it's maybe late teens early 20s kind of thing um But the other question we ask is, when was the first time, if ever, you had an explicit conversation with your parents about race? Mm -hmm. And the other piece of, I mean, the answers are basically the same. People, uh, black people usually say like, I have some kind of conversation with my parents by the age of 10. Um, And then a number of our white peers in particular have to say, I've actually never had an explicit conversation with my parents about race, or again, later, late teens, early 20s kind of thing, and I remember for myself, I had my first conversation with my parents at the age of five around what it meant to be a Black man in the U.S., and I had my first major racial incident at the age of six, and had they not talked to me at five, I wouldn't have had a perspective to try to make sense of uh what I experienced at by, and so I mean at six, and so that's the kind of when i when I watch the video, it immediately goes to me as a parent mm-hmm. and um and kind of just going with your metaphor about the trees, I think the thing that has shifted is that these videos um are now the sound um and there no longer is an excuse, even with the lack of proximity to not hear because the videos are right there for you. But the question is, what does that change? Mm -hmm. And all too often um, in our world and in the church, even visual evidence of what we have been saying collectively as a people for over 100 years, for 400 years, um, that has been denied because people haven't been proximate, now is being confront, you, you have to confront that, you have to reckon with it and say, okay, I haven't believed your story, it hadn't been enough, now I have visual evidence, will that be enough? to start to shift the tenor of the conversation and deepen our engagement around racism as a discipleship issue, not just a secular issue.
2: Wow. Wow, thank you guys. That's powerful. And let me say this, that there's no one on this panel or no Christian that believes that the protests, are not the protests, but the riots and looting is a good thing. I mean, I have a question there, but we're gonna move past that question. Nobody here is saying, yeah, riot and loot. That's not what we're saying. And, and let, me, let, me, let me put this in. When we have these conversations a lot um, from like, especially conversations I've had from two my white brothers and sisters, there are these quick, there's always these quick dismissals. Um, for example, if someone mentioned Black Lives Matter, the, the, the dismissal, is all lives matter. Um, And and not that we don't believe all lives matter, but we're placing the focus again on the black lives. And when we hear that from our white brothers and sisters, what that say to us is that you're not listening. Uh, Another example is what about the good cops? When we see incidents like this, and, you, and many of you that know, I'm a police chaplain. I work directly with the police officers, um, and there are good cops. And here's the deal. When we see the looting, when we see the riots, why don't we apply the same thing? I've seen people share not about the, the, the protests, the peaceful protests, but they shared a lot about the riots and looting. What about the good protesters? That's not the question. I've never, never heard that. And the other thing is like, why can't we just be colorblind? Ooh, <laughs>
3: that
2: means you don't wanna deal with we, we, the issue because we cannot be colorblind. Um, our color impacts as, as Dominique mentioned at the age of six and five, you know, we, we're having these conversations. We're having, and, and another thing that we haven't even talked about, the conversation that we have to have with our, our children as they hear about this stuff and they're processing, they're trying to walk through. So let's dive in deeper. Um, right now, I believe in all 50 states, there's been peaceful protests, uh, which, which, which is amazing. And I believe that gives us a hope because I think we are at a turning point. Um, one way or the other, you cannot remain the same. So here's the question for Dominic. I'm going to direct this one to you. Explain to us what is systematic, systematic. I'm sorry, racism. Systemic. I'm sorry, systemic racism. What is systemic racism? Please explain that to our audience.
0: Yeah, systemic racism is when um, an individual's personal racism. A individual who has personal racism is really put into a position of power, and that racism that they harbor themselves spills over into the things that they're responsible for stewarding, so the mm-hmm. systems and structures that they're supposed to be leading, and so it spills over into legislation, uh, culture, customs, and practices of an organization or institution. Um, example, I mean, let's just use it historically with Black folk. I mean, so Black people uh, legally being classified as property, uh, Black people being counted as three-fifths of a human being, Black people being prohibited from participating in the democratic process through Jim Crow. uh, These are all manifestations of uh, systemic racism, but also Um, when we look at our educational system and the fact that uh, what is taught as US history excludes the historic contributions of black people, but also the expressions of, I'm just gonna be honest, um, domestic terrorism that have been enacted against black people that we haven't encapsulated as part of US history. So a perfect example of this is right now as everybody's so concerned about looting and rioting and what's going on, Two days ago was the 99-year anniversary of Black Wall Street, um, the uh, massacre that happened in Tulsa, uh, where there were uh, white people who burnt down 35 city blocks um, in the most prosperous African-American community that has ever existed in this nation out of sheer jealousy. Um, And as we preached on Pentecost, like how many preachers actually knew that history to make that connection for their members in the midst of us trying to process um, what we're seeing. So those things, systemic racism impacts laws, but also impacts our congregations um, and our knowledge as people who are commissioned to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Like if we don't know this history, then these these protests, these calls, cries for reconciliation and lamentation, feel unwarranted, and so we can kind of minimize them and distance ourselves from kind of really being convicted in the way that we should be as Christ followers.
3: So, Amen.
2: thank you, thank
0: and, you, so and much. I
3: just want to add to to what Dominique was saying as far as with um, the Wall Street. To take it a step further, with the with those thirty five city blocks, and we think about um, even with the looting going on today, it's property, right? It can be replaced. It's insurance. All of those claims during the um, Tulsa massacre, massacre, they were denied. Every single insurance claim. So you, so you see the um, the systemic racism even layer after layer after layer. So we can come destroy your things. Will you all have this insurance? You're following the laws, and we're still going to de- deny it. So it's just amplified. Wow.
2: All right. So I'm looking at the time, and, and let me see this. To our audience, we're not gonna solve <laughs> racism. Again, what we wanna do is take this from, from our conversation to commitment, to commit to do something. And so we're gonna get to that in a moment. So hang in with us. Um, Kelly, can you talk about implicit bias? Um, what is implicit bias and how do you overcome it?
3: So implicit bias is our unconscious response in our brain to our environment. I mean, that's as simple as it is. You say, How do you overcome it? You can't. You, 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 you just can't. Um, and so, what we like to say is, there's ways to manage it, however, because it's a part of your unconsciousness. Um, and it's built based on how you're raised, what you're exposed to in your environment. And, and I want to make it clear that, like, not all biases are bad, correct? So, you know, if I see someone coming to me with a knife, my unconscious brain and the knife is like coming towards this way. It's not like, oh, this is just a friendly person that wants to play. Mm-hmm. My brain's going to try and, you know, want to fight it off. And so that's mm-hmm. a good thing. But when we think about how that um, impacts our racial relationships, um, our country is built on this idea of white supremacy. So everything that we see teaches us that there is a group that is superior. And so, and there's a group that's inferior. And so our implicit bias, our unconscious mind, when we see those pictures, images, our our brain can't help. You have to actually consciously say like, oops, let me stop this thought process from happening. All
2: right, Dominique, go ahead. You, You made a comment. Oh, no, I just put it in
0: the chat uh, just for further context for people around what we were talking about with the Tulsa uh, massacre. Um, over the span of two days, white citizens who were angry about the success of Black Wall Street literally burnt it to the ground, decimating 35 city blocks filled with Black businesses and homes. 150 Black businesses and 1,265 Black homes were destroyed. 300 Black people were killed. 800 more were injured and 9,000 were left homeless. The white mob destroyed $1.8 million uh, worth of property in this, which would be equivalent to $25 million uh, worth of damage today.
2: Hmm.
1: Wow. You know, my, my, my wife's great grandfather was born in Greenwood and was displaced from that. And that's why, you know, she uh, and her family ended up going to uh, um, Augusta, Georgia, and, uh, yeah, and then ultimately led her to me. But I'm telling you, it's uh, that story is one that, like you said, Dominique, uh, that people don't want to, you know, peel back the rug on that kind of stuff at all, and uh, it's, it's left absent from any history book I I was given in any of my years of school.
0: Yeah. I mean, just to amplify that real quick, the state of Oklahoma just passed a piece of legislation this year saying that they're gonna start including this in their history books.
2: Wow,
0: How this can happen 99 years ago in your state and you deny it institutionally uh, and from institutionally, but also curricularly and actually tell people like, this isn't part of a history that you need to know as somebody being formed in this place, in this space where this history looms over the state. That's what we're talking about when we talk about systemic racism.
2: Thank you. And, and back to Kelly, as far as the um, implicit bias and overcoming, you said we can't, but we can become aware of it. Um, and that's that's important. Um, it is vitally important. And thanks for, for sharing that. I didn't I didn't even know that Jalen. Um, so And I hope our audience knows that we're not just seeing this stuff to invoke emotion. This is to give context to this longer story and, and narrative. People say, well, that happened X amount of years ago so did Vietnam, but there are people still affected. I'm not gonna get into trauma. (laughs) I have someone, a a, a person I met who was in Afghanistan and to this day, if he sees an object in the road, he's swerving Um, because to him, that object is not just a cup. That's an IED because of what he experienced. Um, because of the trauma. The last time he saw an object in a road, he also heard explosion. He saw body parts. He heard people screaming. That's what that cup means. And for some people, you can just say, it's just a cup or get over it. For him, it's something different. And that's the effects of trauma. And we're not going to get into that. Um, But I hear people just say get over it and this that and the other and and my friends you you don't understand trauma but hopefully we can get in this journey together get closer proximity that the the parable of the good Samaritan I love 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 that the 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 Levite the priest they saw the issue they saw the guy hurt and they walked on the other side they saw him but the Samaritan the least person to you, the one that was being mistreated by Uh, Jews in that time. He, the Bible said, came where he was. And see, until you come to where people are, and in this case, where we are, it's easy for you on the other side to say why we're hurting, to judge why we're hurting, to say, why don't you just pull yourself up? Why don't you just do this? But if you get closer, you'll realize maybe they don't have bootstraps, or maybe they don't even have uh, feet. So again, proximity, all right, we're going to move on because um, we're pressing for our time. Um, the, let's, let's, let's deal with this one, um, COVID-19. What impact has this had on you, I guess, personally or the effects of the African-American community? So again, what impact has this had on you um, personally and what impact has his hat on the African-American community. And then after this, we're going to get into engaging and responding. So please feel free to um, stay with us. And again, if you have any questions, you can post those questions. But go ahead. Um,
0: Yeah, I'll go quick. Um, So in every state in the nation, uh, racial disparities are being illuminated uh, by COVID, Um, not created, but they are just illuminating the systemic um, disparities in access to quality health care, People disproportionately living in food deserts, not having access to healthy food, to, you know, uh, disproportionately people of color uh, working entry level jobs where they don't have the luxury of social distancing uh, and working from home, but they are front facing jobs where they are uh, have to go to work and interva- interact in the world in a way that leads them to be more prone to contract and spread COVID, um, and disproportionately in those homes, people are living in multi-family units or uh, with extended family, and also leads to a greater spread. So all these things are true, and when I talk about uh, how it's personally impacted me, um, one of the things I get the privilege of doing is uh, teaching in a master's program at a maximum security prison here in Illinois, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, we have 80 men who are currently enrolled in a program through North Park Theological Seminary, our denominations uh, seminary, uh, where we have 80 men who are pursuing their master's degree behind bars, and we have already lost two of our students to COVID. Um, The numbers of people testing positive behind bars is, it is, the numbers are extremely out of control. I mean, there have been cases where up to 87% of people tested behind bars and different facilities have tested positive. So it's literally a hot box for the virus where for most people, because it's impossible to practice social distancing, prisons and jails and detention centers are already notoriously unsanitary spaces and people don't have access to um, soap, to be able to wash their hands multiple times a day, they adhere to medical professionals' recommendations. So, um, for many people, it's not even a question of if they'll catch COVID; it's when they'll catch COVID. Um, in a context like that, so that's how it's affected me.
2: Yeah. Anybody else want to respond on that?
1: Um, I'll say, like for me, you know, most people who have been tracking with this, Detroit has been a a a hotspot. You know. And uh, at one time, like, was uh, third as far as the, the states with the most cases and, and deaths and things like that. And, and so, um, honestly, uh, I'm, like, really connected in, like, the metro Detroit area to a lot of churches. I mean, just simply because I, I played keys for a lot of different churches, like, since I was younger to, to now. And uh, But I'm also, like, pretty connected within the suburban, you know, white church community as well in metro detroit and so i'm personally you know connected to over 70 people that have been diagnosed with COVID. all of them african-american i know two caucasian americans that have been diagnosed with it and uh i'm and the thing is of the 70 people that i've been connected to 21 of them are no longer with us uh one of the people that you know did survive was my aunt after spending 23 days on a ventilator uh, after catching it because she was still required to go uh, and teach before her charter school was was closed after the governor's orders, um, and so the, the the thing that makes it hard for me is it's like I find myself in the middle of these kind of conversations where you know it seems like the uh, suburban majority white church community, uh, you know they I'm hearing a lot of of conversations where they're saying things like, it's really not all that bad, you know? Like, why can't we just open up, why can't, you know? And then on the other end, I've got these people over here that look like me in the urban areas and they're like, it is that bad. I lost my mom. It is that bad, I lost my son, you know? And so the disparity is like Dominique just said, in my opinion, it's just yet another lens that we can use to see the disparity and the injustice that has plagued our country for 400 years.
2: Yeah, we're going to move on. Um, On on that note, like personally, I I have friends all across the racial, political span, and I've I've seen Christian Brothers post how this is a democratic ploy um, to... Um, you know, to tank the economy, this is, this is all, and it's not like you mentioned, Jalen. it's not that bad. And at the same time, on my, there are people that I know directly and indirectly, almost weekly, sometimes one, two, three people that have passed away. Um, I was talking to a father who was, whose, whose son had died. My hometown Flint, one of the first Genesee County um, issues was a a, a friend, um, someone we knew connected to the family, lost her husband and then she lost her son three days later. And then I'm looking at Christian brothers. This is a democratic ploy. Um, So yeah, it's something. And Jalen, before we go into our engage piece in response, there's a question I have for you that I overlooked. I, I wanted you to speak on on tokenism um and um yeah go, go ahead and <laughs> i heard you talk about it yesterday on a on a feed and and i want you to talk about that piece real quick and to our audience
3: yeah uh
1: and i'll, I'll try to be real quick because i know i know time is uh time is short but i say this as a as a black musician entertainer you know, I, I, I did gospel younger, then got into jazz and r and and then, you know, came back to contemporary Christian and gospel. Uh, black entertainment has always been love. I mean, we could do our thing on a stage, you know? And, I mean, the thing is, is, like, I, I was reading one of Nat King Cole's autobiographies, and, um, and honestly, it, it, was, it was some crazy percentage. Like, 80% of the clubs that Nat King ever played in, he couldn't walk through the front door in. And so the thing is, is what tokenism is, is when you are able to look and you see, okay, I, I see the talent, I see the gift, and I see how I can leverage that to serve and build my own kingdom. But I won't accept the fact that that talent belongs and is, is, is held by a person who is equal to me. So like I've experienced in this sense of being connected to to a lot of churches and things like that, that require Worship music and and instrumental stuff and things like that. um, A lot of the times they'll say, you know what? We want to we want to have diversity. We want to have something that looks like Detroit, looks like Metro Detroit. So then, like they call me up to play keys or sing for an event. I get there, I'm sitting in a room, and I look. I see an Asian brother. I see a Latino brother. I might see you know (laughs) somebody else as well from. Some different culture or different race, and I realized, oh, we're, we're the representation. You know, we're the photo op. Now, now they didn't ask us to, to help them plan the event. They didn't ask us what we thought about the event, but they wanted to make sure that picture looked real good. That's tokenism.
2: Okay, thank you. And and let me just say this, Jalen. I know you um you worship at Kensington, which is uh, predominantly white, but. I'm, uh, there's no reflection at all. Uh, and you you explained that um, yesterday, no reflection at all to Kensington. I love Kensington. I, everybody, Danny Cox, um, and you can speak to his commitment to um, racial righteousness and everything. So I don't want anybody to take this as, oh, why did he ask that question? Um, but he, he, as well as my, myself, we've been in situations where that has been the case and um, where people value your, they they value the visual, but not your voice. Um, it's like yeah, you're there for the photo op, but keep your mouth shut.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And like I said, I, I mean, I've I've had a leader, thankfully at Kensington, who's who's protected me, and yes. I'm grateful for that. And he's protected me from the tokenism stuff. Um, yes. But yeah, it's it's like they they see the talent, and then they leverage it, you know, not to serve the one of color, but to serve them and build their own kingdom.
2: All right, so. Thank you, ma'am. We're going to be wrapping up here. Now, here's some action steps. And then we also have um, a session this Friday, and I'll I'll talk more about that to kind of decompress everything that that we um, talked about today, because this is almost like a one to many, if you will, there's not that much interaction with the audience. But on Friday, uh, eight o'clock, we'll give you more details later we're gonna have a session, not with our panelists, but we'll have a session with, for Life Church, Auburn Hills, That everybody's welcome, where we can kind of decompress what was said and talk about steps moving forward. So engage in response. Right now, everybody, well, I don't say everybody, there's a lot of people that are asking, what can we do? We wanna do something, we wanna do something. And so I wanna ask, what would you recommend? Um, our audience to do. And you can do it as an individual or um, corporately. You can speak on any of those levels. What, at this stage, something practical that we can do in this moment? So I'll give you two
0: things real quick. Um, I, The Covenant, uh, I helped us re- create a resource that basically explains how do you engage and respond to uh, the murder of George Floyd, anti-Black racism in our nation, and um, the civil unrest that's sweeping the country. Um, So use that resource, Darnell, I'll distribute it. The other thing I would ask you to do is I did an interview with a medical professional uh, doctor on the front lines down in the heart of Atlanta, which is one of the blackest cities in our country, um, a Korean brother who uh, is talking about the racial disparities and how COVID is disproportionately impacting African American communities and the systemic reasons why. So those are two things to engage directly what we've been talking to talking about and uh, Darnell will kind of distribute those resources.
2: Yeah, we'll post that and we'll post it to the uh, feed, um, those two links to those resources. So, thank you. Uh, Kelly?
3: Yeah, um, I would say that right now there, there's a a period of grieving that's taking place. Mm -hmm. Um, And thinking about this audience in particular, as Christian brothers and sisters, we really need to go back to the word. Mm -hmm. And I feel that a lot of times, there's often this compelling, I don't know, desire to ensure that our white brothers and sisters are feeling very comfortable, that we don't say anything that rubs the feathers the wrong way. Um, And we'll bring up, you know, know, Jesus wants us to be peaceful. But let's talk about, Jesus was a radical, okay? So let's talk about that. And Jesus also held people accountable. Mm -hmm. So this idea of self-care, when Jesus went off, he went off to pray. For his own self-care so if i'm mm-hmm. grieving and i need that space and that time i need that and what did he do he told his disciples stay and watch and when he came back what were they doing they were asleep mm-hmm. jesus say oh you know what you know it's been a long day i understand they're tired and i'm saying this as a black woman i'm not right now i'm not in a position to make white people feel good about whatever it is that they think they're doing i'm holding you accountable if I need this time, there's a lot that's going on. I'm processing as a person of color, as a black woman right now, and we need to hold you all accountable. That's what the Bible's telling us to do. Jesus even called out the Pharisees. So it's easy for us to say, oh, these are good people. These are bad people. This is not about good or bad. Racism is sin. That's what it is. Let's call it out. It is sin. And so if we really want to find out what do we need to do? We need to pray. You need to read the Gospels. Jesus was always calling out the Pharisees. We're calling out a system. The Pharisees thought they were good people. I give to the poor. I give to the poor black folks. This is the Pharisees. But you have a system that is allowing you to oppress other people. Jesus would speak against that on any account. And he wasn't trying to make people feel comfortable about it. Sin should make us feel uncomfortable. It should convict you. It should cause you to repent. And you need to seek Jesus for what it is that you need to do on your journey to make this better.
2: Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I shared um, uh, a couple of weeks ago um, how it was ironic, the incident with the um, Central Park, the Central Park incident, and the um, um, George Floyd and and the compassion that some felt for that dog, the couple of seconds that the dog was choking, um, I felt compassion because I, I again I saw the dog. I'm like, whoa, that's no way to treat a dog. But some have, and it came to me that some had more compassion on that few minutes that the dog was choking than when the, the eight plus minutes that. George Floyd was was struggling for air, mm-hmm. and and for those that have that, you honestly just need to go and ask God, see why did I feel like that? Why 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 did why didn't I have the same response? Or oh, actually, a greater response for seeing that that, that man, um, an African American man, uh, die. So, all right, Jalen. I mean,
1: I. I feel like after Kelly, I should just go ahead and hit the red button. I, mean, I, I, I don't really have much more to say to that. Uh, I mean, amen and yes. Uh, but I, I think what, I think if, if I had anything to add, it would be three simple steps. It's like, know your history. Like, like don't just take for face value what your high school history book told you. Like, dive in and we've all done research papers for various reasons it's tough to find uh, credible sources at times but you can do it i have faith in you the second thing is examine your heart that jesus says that all the time examine your heart ask the lord to remove anything that is not like him right and you say, and repent of it confess of it repent of it and move past it the third thing is take what you have take what you have the things that have been given to you through blessing and through your privilege and bring it to the storehouse and leverage it to serve humanity, Mm -hmm. all of humanity. Humanity that the complete gospel doesn't end with just Jesus died and rose. It also goes on to Ephesians two and three and says what he did was broke down the dividing wall of hostility to create one new humanity. Come on. Leverage what you have to serve that one new humanity. That's your black and brown brother and sister. Yeah. And so that's
2: what that's what I'd say. That's that's good. Uh, I heard this quote, and we're going to wrap up. I heard this quote from uh, our teaching pastor at Life Church Canton, uh, and he also works for diversity in the diversity area, Daniel Fabui. He said, "This folks are outsourcing their racial justice education, and what uh, he means by that is do the homework. We're here." <laughs> We want to walk with you on that journey. But we're encouraging you to take initiative and, and, and again that link we're going to share, I don't know if it's shared or not, I can't see, but the link that we're going to share has a load of resources, books and things to watch. And please um, educate yourself and, and connect with us as well because this is about this is about justice, okay? This is, and this is a gospel issue. The the God we serve speaks about justice from all the, all throughout the scripture. This is a justice issue, okay? And I I often say, is it just us or justice? Seriously, because here's just us. Just us says, I wouldn't let that happen to my kids. Think about it. If if that was someone like you, uh, Kelly, you said, when you saw George on the ground, you're thinking about your husband. Um, you're thinking about, you know, your your sons, and and justice is saying that 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 I only speak up when it's, you know, when it touched me. I have friends who have adopted children that they, they didn't believe racism exists until they adopted children, and then they're suspicious because they're in the wrong neighborhood. Um, is it justice where it only affects us, just us, or is it actually justice? Meaning that if I would not allow it to happen to my kids without making a noise or someone I love without making um, some noise about it or doing something about it, then I'm not gonna let it happen to you. And that is what God is calling us into, justice. And it is for, for all of us. So we're gonna move, we're gonna, we're gonna close, man. Again, we, we can't, <laughs> we're not solving this is part of the journey. We're gonna provide those resources. I sincerely thank you all for uh, our panelists for being here and contributing to this conversation. And I'm grateful that we're able to have the conversation because especially when, when tempers are raging and you're constantly feeding on the media, whatever it is, whatever your source is, um, my encouragement, yes, stay informed, but get on your knees and, and and pray and ask God in this moment, how are we to respond? Don't be moved by what the commentators are saying. They they, they say what they're saying for their agenda, whatever side it is for their agenda, for the sake of the kingdom. Can we pull together, pray, and then make steps moving forward together? And there's a lot of um, resources Dominic has given us and we're gonna share. So I'll say this, any closing, and this is directly, again, connected to the gospel, any closing remarks from from you guys? Any closing remarks and then we're gonna pray and, um, oh, we, we're doing pretty good on time. Yeah, we're gonna pray and um, then we'll go. Any closing remarks? Yeah, I'll
0: just close, um, you know, for far too long, uh, White churches and other churches have said the race is a secular issue that the gospel isn't concerned about, and that inside the four walls of the church, we need to be focused on saving souls and bringing people into the body of Christ. Um, but scripture says that the world will come to know that we are Jesus's disciples by our love for one another. And our unwillingness to press into these hard conversations around race is a witness to our unwillingness to love each other sacrificially in the way that Jesus modeled for us. And so the church has to reclaim uh, racism as uh, something that falls under the umbrella of Christian discipleship and really um, work to disciple people away from the patterns and the logics of this world that allow us to be content with things as they are. Um, and reform people in a Christ-like manner that compels us to bear witness to the love of God in the face of evil.
2: Amen. Amen, thank you. Kelly, last word.
3: Um, I don't know, <laughs> one last word. I would just say, again, it it is, from a spiritual standpoint, we really need to take this to prayer. I think that we spend too much time um, asking the world, <clears throat> what do we do about it? But the world is part of what is the reason that we're in this situation. So you're asking the very creator of this, this sin, like, oh, okay, now how do we fix this sin? Um, and then again, I said like that, that self-searching, I like how Jalen said like you have to search your heart. Where is your God at? Who is your God? You know, so if my privilege and everything that I have access to, if I'm honest with myself, this is my God, this is why this stuff is allowed to happen. And so we have to just have a very honest conversation and do some self, self-seeking, self some self-journey. Um, and I'm not saying that for all people, um, even being a black woman, I'm constantly fighting when I talk about that. Implicit bias piece. I have to constantly fight that as well um, and recognize and be able to call racism what it is. It is sin. And so if we put it right in that category, the church, I mean, the the church should never shy away. It is sin. So we need to address it. That is part of saving souls. You got to read James 2. I mean, you can't be prejudiced and expect to save souls. Mm -hmm.
1: I, I, just, I just got some preacher organ chords for all three of y'all.
2: So uh, <laughs> me an E-flat, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no Donald, you more like a D-flat kind of, you yeah. know, you got a rich voice, you know. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I just say amen to all y'all said. I mean, I have been super blessed by, uh, by this time. And honestly, I am hopeful. And I'm hopeful, you know, for the next generation, too. Because I'm watching some some people uh, in my generation really step into these conversations with their children, and it, it's it's uh, and I think that that's key as well. Is as you confess, you know, to the white parents out there, as you confess and as you examine your heart, share your journey with your children. Yes. Share your journey with your children. Let them see where you are in it. Let them understand the way the places that you're struggling to understand. Let them see where you're uneducated. And, and moving around the dinner table, when you have those conversations, you are empowering and sowing seed into the next generation so that they don't have to have these kind of Zoom calls. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, my last, that's my last thought.
2: Cool. Thank you, guys. Again, I really appreciate you all being on the panel. And, and, and my closing remarks is this. There is not another organization or organism on Earth that has not only the mandate, but access to power, godly power, Then the church. This change is not gonna happen because of legislation. Legislation does need to change, but it's not gonna happen because of legislation. It's gonna happen because of transformation. It's gonna happen because we commit ourselves, again, Romans 12, one and two, we present ourselves, all of us, and that may mean that you have to give up something. That may mean you have to sacrifice something. I mean, our model is Jesus who emptied himself. Philippians 2, check it out. I mean, that's our model. That's the person we're saying we're following. The one that committed us to, again, to, to that, that our, the sign that we belong to him is that we love like him. But I present ourselves and give ourselves, again, the church is the only answer, the only answer. We can't expect, and again, we're pointing fingers at the world acting like the world. We're, we're, really, when we see the riots and all this other stuff, we're pointing our finger and look at them, look at them, look at them. Honestly, here's, the, here's my challenge. Look at us. Look at the church. Because they're responding the way they should respond. My question is: Is the church being who we should be? And I'm going to leave with that note, and um, we're going to pray. Thank you all for joining us. Oh, I'm sorry. We we will this Friday at eight, between eight and nine thirty. We're going to have um, what we call take action for racial justice. We're going to kind of decompress and have conversation around this. There's a web page. You can, and and I'm sure um, someone will post this right now but lcahus slash take action. And we're gonna have a session where we can actually see you. And now it's gonna be limited to 100 people, um, but if you are interested to have dialogue, and again, we'll go from conversation to a commitment, I'm encouraging you to be there, US slash take action. And you'll go to the website to learn more about this event that's happening Friday, um, June 5th uh, at 8 p.m. So again, I thank each and every one of you for uh, being here. Um, we'll look at any questions you may have posted and, and, and try to respond later, uh, but thank you all. And for real, this is a moment that, 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 that has been placed on us. People are gonna be reading about this moment. This, this moment is gonna, will be in books. We have an opportunity to write history and do it right for the sake of the kingdom. So, mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters of all backgrounds, let's make it happen in Jesus' name. So, can um, someone close us out in prayer? Anybody wanna close? Kelly,
1: can you close us out in prayer?
2: Yeah, she got that fight. <laughs> Come on, Kelly. <laughs> the spirit the, is still the, strong.
3: Go to her. We need, I, I, yeah, I, we
2: we need we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength. So Kelly.
3: Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the platform to be able to have these discussions openly, Lord, um, and still keep you and Christ in the center, Heavenly Father, Lord. These are some trying times, Lord, um, and we as human, our brains, we can't wrap our mind around it. We don't know how to process this without you, Lord. So this is our cry out to you, Heavenly Father, that you would help us, Heavenly Father, touch all of our hearts, Lord. Every person that claims to be a follower of Christ, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just Just remove the veil and help us to really search our heart, Lord, and ask, what is it that you would have us to do, Lord? Allow us to just recognize our privilege, um, to recognize what it is that it will take for us to follow you, Lord. You went fishing for men, Heavenly Mm -hmm. Father, Lord. And so, Lord, they left everything behind. So we're Mm -hmm. asking you now, Lord, to please tell us what it is that we need to leave behind in order to do the word um the will of christ heavenly father we ask lord that you would just continue to um watch over the entire world lord um those families who are grieving due to COVID loss um due to sicknesses lord we're asking that you would just protect families we ask that you protect those protesters lord people who are um, just crying out for help heavenly father give them comfort heavenly father lord and we ask for transformation we know that the church is the only way that this can be done and so we ask that you would empower your people right now to fall on their knees humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways so that you can hear our cry and our plea in the mighty name of jesus we do pray amen
2: Amen. Woo. All right. Thank you. All. I
1: can go about my day now. I ain't got my job.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you guys so much.